This podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. The Bet365 app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates across the biggest sports. Bet365's Bet Builder lets you create personalised bets and calculate the odds for any football match right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Outta Cobham, the Chelsea FC-focused podcast from The Athletic. Each week we bring you the latest blues, news, reviews, previews and views. On today's show, we reflect on Chelsea's topsy-turvy tussle with Leicester, analyse the transfer window that wasn't, swoon over the women's team's great win against West Ham and reveal our latest cult hero. All that to come on this episode of Straight Outta Cobham. Hello again, listener. Thanks for your company. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Each week, I'm joined by the Athletics Chelsea experts to break down all the latest news from SW6, and we're never short of talking points. The Blues may be on their winter break, but we're very much still on the metaphorical ball. With me in the studio today are Liam Toomey. Hello. And Don Fifield. Hello. Right then, first stop, the King Power Stadium. So it finished all square in the East Midlands as Chelsea led, then trailed, then took a point. All four goals in the second half. Tony Rudiger with both for the Blues, true to form. They were both headers. Uh, Liam, you were there. Felt like a fair result at the end of 90 minutes. Yeah, I think it did. But it was kind of a strange game because both teams were were kind of sloppy in their execution. Neither could keep the ball very well. And and while they, they did sort of create dangerous moments, there was at least until the sort of final 15, 20 minutes, a, a relative shortage of, of bit clear chances. Like I think Leicester had the opportunities to win it, most notably with with Harvey Barnes uh, missing that absolute sitter. And maybe Chelsea come away thinking, quite relieved, that's that's a pretty good point. Um, but overall, I thought in, in open play, the two teams were relatively evenly matched. The one thing that Lampard will take away as well, though, is that the two goals came from Antonio Rudiger, his first Premier League goals in 15 months. That's not a sustainable source of scoring and Chelsea is still looking for that. And Tammy Abraham maybe obviously went into the game slightly hobbled, pain-killing injections just to play. But his execution with, with Mason Mount, with Callum Hudson-Odoi was was sloppy. They, they, did, they did good things. They won the ball back in good areas. They made good runs. Um, but every final pass was slightly off. Every finish was scuffed. And they didn't end up testing Kasper Schmeichel anywhere near as much as they probably should have done. And that's been the recurring theme for Lampard is that they are not making the most of the chances they generate. And that, Dom, is that symptomatic of what you wrote about a couple of weeks ago with all the injuries that happen at this time of season and that the players are just exhausted, therefore this break has come at a good time? I think definitely the break has come at a good, the, the right time to, um, and it gives them a chance just to get away from each other for a week. But yeah, the, the fatigue does creep into into players um, seasons at this at this point of the year that's just the reality of the of a cluttered festive season and and all the cup games and you've got Europe about to start again so that they need to recharge their batteries but we should also take into account that a lot of these players have this is their first experience of a prolonged Premier League involvement a lot of them have played in the in the championship on loan um, and, and here they are being relied upon by an elite club where standards are higher than any club they've ever been at before 
and it, and it must get to them. They'll be jaded as much mentally as physically. So just to be able to switch off for a week should be, you know, properly beneficial. The big surprise in terms of the selection, Liam, was obviously that Kepa was on the bench and Willy Caballero started. Uh, clearly, it wasn't about how well Caballero had done at Hull the previous week. It was about sending a message to Kepa. Um, in the piece that, that Simon wrote a few weeks ago, we had those quotes from Rob Green saying that he's a very sort of forthright individual and if something's happening in training that he doesn't like, he'll say, let's stop and let's do something else. Is this maybe a kind of way to humble him and... and make him see that you know he's not a, a superstar even if he is the world's most expensive keeper or is it just that he's not been playing very well? I think it certainly could be. Everything you hear about Kepper is that he's a very confident character and you need that if you want to be a top goalkeeper. You need to almost be impervious to self-doubt because it's just one of those positions where if you if you have doubt, if you are the kind of person that questions yourself, you can crumble. Um, but having said that, you also need the the realism to know when you're not performing as well as you should be and and the numbers you know back up the idea the eye test really on on Kepa this season that he's he's not been up to standard he's actually been costing Chelsea rather than being an asset to them in key moments and this was the moment that that Lampard decided to hammer home that message and there was logic to maybe picking this game because it comes just before the February break and you 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 give Kepper a kind of wake up call, but then you give him time to get away from football for a few days. I think that'll be good for all the players, but maybe particularly for him, so he can have a think about the way his season's going, refocus and come back and 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 really try to to justify the status that he has as as Chelsea's number one, as Spain's number one ahead of a guy like David de Gea. He should be performing better than he is and. Lampard is this isn't him washing his hands of Kepper for, forevermore although if this continues there will be a decision to make in the summer it's him saying Chelsea need a reaction from you hmm. we don't have a, a huge body of work to make a judgment like this on Dom but we're going to ask you to do it anyway do you think that Frank Lampard would have been a kind of arm round the shoulder listen I'm leaving you out for this game but there's every chance you'll be back for the next one or will he have just pinned the team sheet up on the wall and you're not in it? It's a good question. It's a good question. And we're still sort of trying to work out Frank Lampard's management, managerial style. Um, look, the, the signposts were there. Uh, he has been sort of critical in his some of his public outbursts of, of, of late of Kepa's performances. And moreover, the sort of... Maybe not. I mean, I think again we go back to the Arsenal game. I, th I thought he was unfortunate with with the second goal. He, he copped a lot of flack for that, but I think he was probably unsighted when the when that shot from uh, Bellerin came in. But it's more the sort of the confidence he inspires in those in front of him, and whether that's distribution or commanding his area or communication. I don't know. There's there's clearly some kind of issue there. Uh, the problem is that Chelsea don't have a, a they they spent a world record fee on him, so that they're, they're unlikely to get anything back close to that amount of money which probably limits the market in which they can sell him and then as a result probably means that they have to keep working on him and they have to keep trying to get him to improve and and live up to his reputation if you, if you like but they also don't have an alternative that's consistent enough Willy Caballero was was rusty uh, understandably I think we saw why he's a backup goalkeeper at Leicester that, that, the rush of blood um for the second goal when he sort of tore out of his area to, to retrieve the ball and the and Chilwell's back at the back post and is able to finish effectively into an empty net. Um, that's why they can't rely full-time on, on Caballero. 
Um, so it wouldn't have made an awful lot of sense for Lampard to burn his bridges with Kepa. He's going to be reliant upon him for the rest of this season, um, away from maybe domestic cup competition, the FA Cup. Um, and he's a work in progress. I know these, it's, it's odd to say that. You spend 70-odd million pounds on a, on a goalkeeper. You expect to be buying pedigree. But what they actually bought was potential. And he's going to make mistakes along the way. David De Gea had a nightmare period at, at Manchester United at the start of his career. And they worked on him and eventually his, his true qualities came through. The hope will be at Chelsea that the same happens with Kepa. It's worth mentioning as well that Lampard did something similar with Christian Pulisic early in the season. He he left him out of the team and he, he publicly challenged him in a way that he hasn't quite done with Kepa actually. He didn't go as strong in the in the Leicester press conference as he maybe could have done in explaining why he'd started Caballero. But... In terms of his actions, it's a very similar approach. It's, you're out of the team, now what are you going to do about it? And and Pulisic reacted in just the right way and had a run of about seven or eight games where he was absolutely superb. Um, and if Chelsea get the same reaction out of Kepa, particularly with the games that they've got coming up in the next month or so, then Lampard will consider that, you know, that decision's paid off handsomely. You mentioned Pulisic there. The fact that he's not available, maybe one of the reasons why Pedro started, but still a big surprise. How did he do? Yeah, forgettable again. Um, it was his first Premier League start since November, since that West Ham game that Chelsea lost. And uh, and I think he, he was included because the idea of Pedro at his peak is, is exactly what this Chelsea team needs. They need a ruthless finisher, someone who gets themselves into those positions and knows exactly what to do when they get there. But he didn't even really get any scoring chances um, against Leicester, they all fell to to the young guys, and that's been a pattern that's that's emerged whenever we have seen him on the pitch in recent months. He's he, he's just not been quite making the same runs. I don't know whether it's a physical issue, a rhythm issue, or anything else, or whether he just feels that his Chelsea career is coming to an end now. But he's not been quite the same player this season, and it's difficult because Lampard is is scrambling around trying to find an attacking combination that works, and it and until players start taking chances then he's 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 not found it the other big um team news note don was the substitution the final substitution that saw ross barkley come on for tammy abraham and, and mishy batshuayi look a little bit fed up about that fact on the bench olivier Giroud hadn't traveled was that a message from from frank lampard to the board or was it a message to to mishy batshuayi who had scored at leicester for palace last season yeah he did well, i think everybody did that day <laughs> um look i mean liam mentioned it in his in his piece this morning, it's it's in the past, managers Chelsea managers have made political decisions like that. You know, politically charged decisions with a sort of uh, a nudge in the ribs to the to the board as to what he would have liked in in the window. Uh, I mean, I think Liam asked him afterwards, and the, the quote is in the is in the piece about the the tactical reasons for doing that and how Ross Barkley has impressed of late. We have to remember also that. Michi Matchway hasn't been pulling up too many trees at Chelsea of late. He did score the, in the FA Cup, but it's he's not had a good season for them. Um, I just think it probably reflects a certain frustration, but probably also where the game was. And you know, are, are they likely to have a, a ball full to Batchway in the in the penalty area in the last minutes? Would it, would it be better to put a bit more steel in midfield and a bit of maybe? switch the system slightly or, or clog up Leicester's uh, attack, own attacking play um, but it's interesting because we are at that stage now for the first time really under Lampard where 
you can start reading messages into into a lot of things he says and his mood last Friday in the build-up to, to that game um, at Leicester displayed a certain dissatisfaction at what had happened in January in the market and, and maybe a bit of disappointment that he hadn't possibly received the backing that he'd wanted. In summary then, Liam, not a bad result by any means. Looked a better one before Spurs beat Man City on Sunday, but you know, a, a point away to a team higher in the league than you, it's, it's something to build on, reason for optimism. Yeah, in and of itself, it's it's not a bad result at all. And Leicester are having a great season and by the looks of things, they're, they're going to be a Champions League club, a, a canter really, given the stumbles of everyone behind them. But Spurs won a game that Chelsea were definitely hoping they wouldn't be able to win. And that changes the dynamic a little bit, particularly with Manchester United and Spurs being the next two visitors to to Stamford Bridge. That's going to be an absolutely crucial stretch of games now. And I think Lampard has to consider using Olivier Giroud um, for these games that are coming up. He's quickly decided that he can't start for this team because he's not mobile enough to be the striker for the way Lampard wants to play. But... He's a big game player and in certain situations in maybe the last 20-30 minutes when Chelsea need a goal or need someone to steady their attack, he's clearly a more proven and a more reliable option than the Mishy Batshuayi and if you've got one on the bench it should probably be him. Well that game against United is Chelsea's next one, it's not until Monday the 17th of February, we'll look ahead to that on next week's show. Next up today we'll reflect on the transfer window which was gently pulled into the closed position last week. So Chelsea had the chance to bring in players in January after the transfer ban was reduced on appeal. Despite Frank Lampard's desire to add to his squad, though, it didn't happen. And that led to a rather prickly press conference, Dom, on Friday, uh, where he was kind of goaded a little bit by the chap from Sky Sports News and and didn't take that kindly to it. Um, As far as we're aware, there were options on the table, but they were slightly limited and maybe actually not that sensible. You know, we had... Cavani, Igalo, these kind of names thrown into the mix. It all felt a bit like that Conte one when it started off with Dzeko and then it ended up with Ashley Barnes via Peter Crouch. (laughs) If you can't do a decent deal, it's probably not worth doing. Yeah, and that was what Chelsea were juggling. You know, do we we just get a stopgap because we're not going to be able to get any of our proper long-term targets? Do we need a stopgap? What are the benefits of bringing in a... Cavani on huge wages, massive agents fee, um, considerable transfer fee. I mean, PSG weren't going to loan him out. They had to. They wanted to sell him, if anything, given his contract's up in, in six months' time. Um, Dries Mertens wasn't an option. Um, again, mentioned by Liam and Simon in their piece today. Uh, he's got other priorities. He's injured. He wants to break Napoli's scoring record at the club. So those talks were only ever tentative. Um, they would have been very, very complicated negotiations to conduct with De Laurentiis to, to actually secure any kind of deal. And we remember what happened with Sari and Jorginho even coming in from, from, from Napoli. It's, it's not an easy thing to achieve, and certainly not mid-season. But they, they, they sort of found themselves in quite a familiar position in many ways. And possibly they've learnt from, from previous mistakes. I mean, looking back, what were the benefits of... Gonzalo Higuain's period at Chelsea other than to maybe placate a manager that was on his way out and but even by then the bridges had been burnt really with Sari come the end of January um, you can't be out on the Alexander Pato era though <laughs> surely I'd forgotten about him <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what he's up to he's probably available still only 30 what I looked up a couple of days ago it was astonishing wow but that's but that is the market they were operating in isn't it because 
And, and, and they weren't alone. Igalo being the prime example of that. United were in that market as well. You look at the the signings made across the board, really, in, in January, certainly by elite clubs. No one really got a striker that was you look at and think, wow, they've got a, a proper bargain there. They've got somebody that's going to be the answer for the long term. I mean, it just doesn't happen in January anymore. Well, this is the key thing. It's if If Chelsea's top four rivals had gone out and added significant strikers in January then I think criticism would would have far more weight to it but as it stood Tottenham couldn't get a number nine they signed a winger but not a number nine despite Mourinho desperately wanting one United had to go to China to get a player who played for Watford three years ago to to just basically be a warm body as an option up front and no one knows whether Igalo will be of any use to them the most realistic option Chelsea had in the final days of January, as far as we're aware, was Salomon Rondon from another Chinese Super League club on an ar- arrangement that would have been very similar to Igalo. But again, these, these are sort of mid to lower tier former Premier League strikers who've been in what most people consider to be you know, football's almost semi-retirement in the Chinese Super League for the last two, three years. And, and when that's the most appealing option, doing nothing becomes maybe a, a slightly more appealing course of action. Risky though it is, the, you know, you can't pretend that what Chelsea have done isn't risky in its own way because they are gambling that Lampard and the squad as it is with a Tammy Abraham who had to have pain-killing in- injections to play against Leicester are good enough to get over the line in fourth. And whether they do will probably um, determine how we look back on this decision. Yeah, and also who they can buy in the summer, I guess, depending on whether they're in the Champions League or not. So no incomings. A couple of interesting outgoings from the development squad. Uh, George McEachern and Charlie Brown went out on loan, but Clinton Moller on a permanent deal to Stuttgart. He was out of contract at the end of the season and had made it clear that he wasn't interested in, in signing another deal. Tarek Lamptidom to Brighton. Uh, feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, and you wonder if... Maybe, given the fact that he'd already played twice for the first team, he should have stuck to it a little bit more and stayed. But there again, he's got the club captain and one of the brightest prospects in his position in the country in front of him. Yeah, and I think that route into the first team would have been an issue for Lamptey. There was a point in in January where the, the player and his entourage were quite encouraged by talks with Chelsea and thought that probably he would stay. They'd, it would certainly be made clear to them that Frank Lampard and Jody Morris wanted them to stay. Um, and for him to be a part of Chelsea's future. Um, but I'm not sure that the, the terms that eventually came forward were, were put on the table were sufficient, and, and maybe he, he looked at and surveyed the scene and, and decided that yeah, there wasn't an obvious route into the, into the team. There was interest from abroad, um, and that would have seen him leave probably, probably in the summer for 400 grand on compensa- compensation. Um, which would have been a paltry amount, really. So, in some ways, at least, when the rival Premier League interest emerged, Chelsea at least managed to get a a more substantive fee for him, although we're probably still only talking £3 million, which isn't a huge amount in, in the grand scheme of things. And he's got a great opportunity at Brighton. I mean, playing in a, a good, attack-minded uh, Graham Potter team, and he'll fit in there, I think, in time and, and, and be an asset for them. And, and you do look at it and wonder whether at some point Chelsea might, you know, curse the fact that he left. Um, but there are so many options in that youth side and coming through. And I think we should 
I mean, Reese James's progress this season has been it's been marked at, at, at Chelsea and, and and very impressive. So you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Mm. The interesting thing I think about Lamptey and Mola from a Chelsea perspective is that we're almost dealing with the other side of the academy problem now. For so long, we were talking about why can't they bring anyone through, you know, buying middling squad players to sort of block that developmental pathway. Now they've made the change and they've got this really vibrant young core of talented players in the first team squad, but they've almost got a critical mass of talented players coming through from the academy. Lamptey is, it would, I don't think it would have made much sense for him to stay with Reese James in front of him. And you get, you know, some voices on Twitter saying, oh, well, just get rid of Azpilicueta. Well, he's club captain, a Chelsea legend, and I think he's still got plenty more to offer. He's only 30. This isn't FIFA. You know, um, you can't have a 20-year-old as your first choice and a 19-year-old as your second choice. Reese James is special, and as long as he stays fit, there's no reason to think that Chelsea will rue this this deal. It's just that you can't provide a pathway for, for everyone in every position. But it should be noted that within the academy, although it's it's nice to think yeah, we're, we're, we're creating players for Chelsea's first team, they have a dual responsibility. They're, they're creating players to have a professional football career. So to see Lamptey to go off to an, a Premier League club, whether it be in a Premier League or Championship, or even if he'd gone to Lille or something like that, that, that does still reflect well on Chelsea's conveyor belt. Um, and you and bank four or five million for yeah, him. He still goes down as a success story. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He'll have a successful career now. I mean, he's he's clearly a talent. Um, so look, it's another pat on the back for the coaches and and the setup within the academy. It's frustrating he won't be happening at Chelsea, but that's their own fault for creating Rhys James. <laughs> well, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens in the summer window. That happens on the 18th of May, but players can't officially be registered until the start of July. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, a significant week for the women's team. On Wednesday, they set up a League Cup final date with Arsenal at the end of this month. That following a 1-0 win at Manchester United in the semi, courtesy of Marin Mielder's second half goal. She was on target twice more on Sunday as the Blues destroyed West Ham 8-0 at Kings Meadow. Beth England got a brace to move to 17 goals for the season. 16-year-old Emily Murphy also amongst the scorers. It means Chelsea a second in the table, a point behind Manchester City. With a game in hand, they go to City on the 23rd of February. It's just can't help but continue to be impressed by this team, particularly Liam, given that Sam Kerr was on international duty, so she wasn't even in the squad. Yeah, the depth of the squad that Emma Hayes has built is really, really impressive. And the fact that players can just come in, slot into the system and play the kind of football that gets you an 8-0 win is is very, very impressive. And that title race looks really, really interesting now, doesn't it? Only a point in it, Chelsea with a game in hand. And that game against City is going to be absolutely huge there's we saw from last season the margin for error at the top of the WSL is is so so fine they have Chelsea haven't lost a game yet and yet they're not top mm. so that that shows there there's really no room for mistakes but they they are on the right path yeah you'd make them marginal favorites given they've taken six points from Arsenal and, and Manchester City are now without their manager Nick Cushing uh, who has left. Elsewhere, the men's under-23 still top of PL2 despite letting a 2-0 lead slip at home to Leicester on Friday. Another goal for Tino Angerin, one from Henry Lawrence had Andy Myers' men in pole position, but Leicester scored twice later on, including an injury-time equaliser from Emil Heskey's godson. 
Darnell Johnson. Wow. Uh, there was a big win for the under-18s. They dominated Southampton at Cobham, eventually winning 2-0. Darnell Simiu and Tiano Ballo on target there. It means they're second in the under-18 Premier League South, behind Fulham on goal difference, having played a game more. Uh, and finally, Eddie Newton's left the club to take the position of assistant manager at Trabzonspor. It's, uh, it's an interesting one, Dom. Yeah, that, that is fascinating as well. I know Simon's writing about that, um, so I'll, I won't... <laughs> guess what he's he's going to put in that piece but I, I, I Trapton Sport is an interesting club um, on the Black Sea John um, Obi McKellen Danny Sturridge both there at the moment both there Alexander Serloth as well as on loan from Palace um, they've they are throwing a bit of money at it um, and they, they're building a structure from from the bottom up really um, to see if they can um, challenge the Istanbul clubs the more established clubs in, in the Turkish Super League but but it's that's an adventure for Newton and and it's you know he was one of our cult heroes earlier this season, wasn't it? It's, it's almost it's sad to see him go because he has become synonymous with a lot of the um, success that Chelsea have enjoyed in the last decade. Yeah, not least the Champions League final. But always think it's great to see people test themselves in this way. I'm sure he could have got a job at a reasonable level at a club in England, but he wants to go and and try something new. Yeah, and it's a really interesting test because there aren't any English links on the coaching staff, so he really is putting himself in at the deep end. Part of me wonders whether. I I don't know, but maybe this is Trabzonspor trying to to bring in a, an established English face to help them recruit more Premier League names in the future, or you know, to say this is someone that you can work with when you get here. He clearly knows John Obi Mikel and Daniel Sturridge, um, so that yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I think Chelsea fans will be keeping half an eye on Trabzonspor because of all the all the all the links there. Yeah, the new Vitesse. Uh, before we go, there's just time to reveal our latest court hero. It's tinged with sadness this week as we reflect on the life and career of Dale Jasper, who sadly passed away last week at the age of 56. An academy graduate before an academy was a thing, Jasper made his debut in the 83-84 second division title winning season. Uh, Liam, he only made 15 appearances for Chelsea, but a lot of them were in memorable games, as it turned out. Yeah, and I, and I was struck on the piece that was written about him on Chelsea's website by just how warmly um, Pat Nevin spoke about him and just at great length Pat Nevin spoke about him. He was clearly someone who was absolutely beloved by his teammates. There was a quote in there from um, Colin Pate saying he was absolutely devastated as well and he, he seemed to be a real character. There were comparisons to David Luiz in terms of his game, a real passing centre-back, but also a... Um, a bit of a joker around the training ground, but someone with a really warm heart that, that everyone got on with. And he wasn't at Chelsea f- for long in terms of his senior career, but he was born and bred at the club, grew up a fan, um, which I'm sure, you know, Chelsea fans that are enamoured with what's happening now at, at Chelsea can, can, can really get behind, even if they're not familiar with Jasper's story. Um, but I'd highly recommend reading that piece on Chelsea's official website if you haven't seen it because I, I was it was almost an athletic piece it was really in in depth and um some really nice quotes from Pat Nevin and he was also part of a, a little bit of a, a fairy tale team under under John Neal that was built from uh, quite a lot of academy prospects and um a lot of really cheap recruits because Chelsea as a club were in real financial hardship at the time and and it was a bit of a almost a phoenix story in terms of the way that team took shape and and he was clearly part of that if only for a short time yeah the the echoes are there Dom, aren't they with the team of today the, the likes of colin pates paul canneville 
my mate Clive Walker, all academy graduates who are important players for the club around that time. Now, you spoke to Tim Rolls about Jasper as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Jasper didn't play a lot, as you said, for, for Chelsea, but Tim was making the point that, that uh, he always seemed to have time on the ball. Um, he, I mean, he also drew the comparison with, with David Luiz in his pomp um, at, at Chelsea, which Pat mentioned in, in the piece. Um, and yeah, there, there was, a, there was an, a sort of desperate desire for him to do well at Chelsea. He was a Croydon boy, so he should have supported Palace really, but, <laughs> but Croydon boy who loved Chelsea. And, and at that time, which was you know, a dark time for a period at, in Chelsea's history, People wanted to cling on to something, and having having locals coming through and 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 doing well, even if they were backup players and only getting the occasional opportunity, it meant something. Um, he Tim talked about his 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 rather madcap debut, where they were, I think, three 0 down at, at Cardiff City on at half time, and then scored three in the last six minutes to to equalise three three. And it was similarly, uh, he was involved in a four four. League Cup quarterfinal draw against Sheffield Wednesday later in that season, where I think Chelsea again were trailing for a, a long period. I think they were three 0 down in that, and went, went four three up, and then conceded a last minute equaliser. And then in the semi final against Sunderland, he goes and concedes two penalties, one of which I don't think was converted. But that sort of sums up the sort of frantic nature of his brief Chelsea career. Someone that that had a lot of class and and went on did very well at, at Brighton and Hove Albion and Crew Alexandra and became mainstays of, of, of those two clubs. Um, someone who's clearly you know remembered fondly by everybody at Chelsea. Mm. Dale Jasper, this week's court hero. We'll have another one same time next week. Well, time has got the better of us once again. Uh, before we go, though, what can subscribers to The Athletic expect to read from you this week? Liam, it's a tricky one, isn't it, with no game for a couple of weeks? Yeah, so there's um, the temptation to sort of focus more on things that are happening off the field with, with no games next weekend. So we're... We're looking at um, the big joint read with myself and Simon is going to be on the stadium project. What's happening or what's not happening at this point in time. And uh, yeah, just trying to take a little bit of a broader look of what's going on around the club with, with less happening on the pitch. Dom, are you in some far-flung corner of the continent? Swindon, with former does that count? Premier- <laughs> no. <laughs> I've got a couple of interviews um, to, to do this week, which should be quite interesting. And then, uh, yeah, we don't get a mid-season break, do we? No breaks. (laughs) No breaks for us. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Until then, bye for now.